part two of the discovery of the future by h g wells this librivox recording is in the public domain let us consider just what an educated man of today knows of the past first of all he has the realist of all knowledge the knowledge of his own personal experiences his memory uneducated people believe their memories absolutely and most educated people believe them with a few reservations some of us take up a critical attitude even toward our own memories we know that they not only sometimes drop things out but that sometimes a sort of dreaming or a strong suggestion will put things in but for all that memory remains vivid and real as no other knowledge can be and to have seen and heard and felt is to be nearest to absolute conviction yet our memory of direct impressions is only the smallest part of what we know outside that bright area comes knowledge of a different order the knowledge brought to us by other people outside our immediate personal memory there comes this wider area of facts or quasi-facts told us by more or less trustworthy people told us by word of mouth or by the written word of living and of dead writers this is the past of report rumour tradition and history the second sort of knowledge of the past the nearer knowledge of this sort is abundant and clear and detailed remoter it becomes vaguer still more remotely in time and space it dies down to brief imperfect inscriptions and enigmatical tradition and at last dies away so far as the records and traditions of humanity go into a doubt and darkness as blank just as blank as futurity and now let me remind you that this second zone of knowledge outside the bright area of what we have felt and witnessed and handled for ourselves this zone of hearsay and history and tradition completed the whole knowledge of the past that was accessible to shakespeare for example to these limits man's knowledge of the past was absolutely confined save for some inklings and guesses save for some small almost negligible beginnings until the nineteenth century began besides the correct knowledge of this scheme of hearsay and history a man had a certain amount of legend and error that rounded off the picture in a very satisfactory and misleading way according to bishop usher just exactly four thousand and four years b c and that was man's universal history that was his all until the scientific epoch began and beyond those limits well i suppose the educated man of the sixteenth century was as certain of the non-existence of anything before the creation of the world as he was and as most of us are still of the practical non-existence of the future or at any rate he was as satisfied of the impossibility of knowledge in the one direction as in the other but modern science that is to say the relentless systematic criticism of phenomena has in the past hundred years absolutely destroyed the conception of a finitely distant beginning of things has abolished such limits to the past as a dated creation set and added an enormous vista to that limited sixteenth-century outlook and what i would insist upon is that this further knowledge is a new kind of knowledge obtained in a new kind of way 
we know to-day quite as confidently and in many respects more intimately than we know sargon or zenobia or caractacus the form and the habits of creatures that no living being has ever met that no human eye has ever regarded and the character of scenery that no man has ever seen or can ever possibly see we picture to ourselves the labyrinthodon raising its clumsy head above the water of the carboniferous swamps in which he lived and we figure the pterodactyls those great bird lizards flapping their way athwart the forests of the mesozoic age with exactly the same certainty as that with which we picture the rhinoceros or the vulture i doubt no more about the facts of this farther picture than i do about those in the nearest i believe in the megatherium which i have never seen as confidently as i believe in the hippopotamus that has engulfed buns from my hand a vast amount of detail in that farther picture is now fixed and finite for all time and a countless number of investigators are persistently and confidently enlarging amplifying correcting and pushing farther and farther back the boundaries of this greater past this pre-human past that the scientific criticism of existing phenomena has discovered and restored and brought for the first time into the world of human thought we have become possessed of a new and once unsuspected history of the world of which all the history that was known for example to dr johnson is only the brief concluding chapter and even that concluding chapter has been greatly enlarged and corrected by the exploring archaeologists working strictly upon the lines of the new method that is to say the comparison and criticism of suggestive facts i want particularly to insist upon this that all this outer past this non-historical past is the product of a new and keener habit of inquiry and no sort of revelation it is simply due to a new and more critical way of looking at things our knowledge of the geological past clear and definite as it has become is of a different and lower order than the knowledge of our memory and yet of a quite practicable and trustworthy order a knowledge good enough to go upon and if one were to speak of the private memory as the personal past of the next wider area of knowledge as the traditional or historical past then one might call all that great and inspiring background of remoter geological time the inductive past and this great discovery of the inductive past was got by the discussion and rediscussion and effective criticism of a number of existing facts odd-shaped lumps of stone streaks and bandings in quarries and cliffs anatomical and developmental detail that had always been about in the world that had been lying at the feet of mankind so long as mankind had existed but that no one had ever dreamed before could supply any information at all much more reveal such astounding and enlightening vistas looked at in a new way they became sources of dazzling and penetrating light the remoter past lit up and became a picture considered as effects compared and criticized they yielded a clairvoyant vision of the history of interminable years 
and now if it has been possible for men by picking out a number of suggestive and significant-looking things in the present by comparing them criticizing them and discussing them with a perpetual insistence upon why without any guiding tradition and indeed in the teeth of established beliefs to construct this amazing searchlight of inference into the remoter past is it really after all such an extravagant and hopeless thing to suggest that by seeking for operating causes instead of for fossils and by criticizing them as persistently and thoroughly as the geological record has been criticized it may be possible to throw a searchlight of inference forward instead of backward and to attain to a knowledge of coming things as clear as universally convincing and infinitely more important to mankind than the clear vision of the past that geology has opened to us during the nineteenth century let us grant that anything to correspond with the memory anything having the same relation to the future that memory has to the past is out of the question we cannot imagine of course that we can ever know any personal future to correspond with our personal past or any traditional future to correspond with our traditional past but the possibility of an inductive future to correspond with that great inductive past of geology and archaeology is an altogether different thing i must confess that i believe quite firmly that an inductive knowledge of a great number of things in the future is becoming a human possibility i believe that the time is drawing near when it will be possible to suggest a systematic exploration of the future and you must not judge the practicability of this enterprise by the failures of the past so far nothing has been attempted so far no first-class mind has ever focused itself upon these issues but suppose the laws of social and political development for example were given as many brains were given as much attention criticism and discussion as we have given to the laws of chemical combination during the past fifty years what might we not expect to the popular mind of to-day there is something very difficult in such a suggestion soberly made but here in this institution the royal institution of london which has watched for a whole century over the splendid adolescence of science and where the spirit of science is surely understood you will know that as a matter of fact prophecy has always been inseparably associated with the idea of scientific research the popular idea of scientific investigation is a vehement aimless collection of little facts collected as a bowerbird collects shells and pebbles in methodical little rows and out of this process in some manner unknown to the popular mind certain conjuring tricks the celebrated wonders of science in a sort of accidental way emerge the popular conception of all discovery is accident but you will know that the essential thing in the scientific process is not the collection of facts but the analysis of facts facts are the raw material and not the substance of science it is analysis that has given us all ordered knowledge and you know that the aim and the test and the justification of the scientific process is not a marketable conjuring trick but prophecy 
until a scientific theory yields confident forecasts you know it is unsound and tentative it is mere theorizing as evanescent as art talk or the phantoms politicians talk about the splendid body of gravitational astronomy for example establishes itself upon the certain forecast of stellar movements and you would absolutely refuse to believe its amazing assertions if it were not for these same unerring forecasts the whole body of medical science aims and claims the ability to diagnose meteorology constantly and persistently aims at prophecy and it will never stand in a place of honour until it can certainly foretell the chemist forecasts elements before he meets them it is very properly his boast and the splendid manner in which the mind of clark maxwell reached in front of all experiments and foretold those things that marconi has materialized is familiar to us all all applied mathematics resolves into computation to foretell things which otherwise can only be determined by trial even in so unscientific a science as economics there have been forecasts and if i am right in saying that science aims at prophecy and if the specialist in each science is in fact doing his best now to prophesy within the limits of his field what is there to stand in the way of our building up this growing body of forecast into an ordered picture of the future that will be just as certain just as strictly science and perhaps just as detailed as the picture that has been built up within the last hundred years of the geological past well so far and until we bring the prophecy down to the affairs of man and his children it is just as possible to carry induction forward as back it is just as simple and sure to work out the unchanging orbit of the earth in the future until the tidal drag hauls one unchanging face at last toward the sun as it is to work back to its blazing and molten past until man comes in the inductive future is as real and convincing as the inductive past but inorganic forces are the smaller part and the minor interest in this concern directly man becomes a factor the nature of the problem changes and our whole present interest centres on the question whether man is indeed individually and collectively incalculable a new element which entirely alters the nature of our inquiry and stamps it at once as vain and hopeless or whether his presence complicates but does not alter the essential nature of the induction how far may we hope to get trustworthy inductions about the future of man well i think on the whole we are inclined to underrate our chance of certainties in the future just as i think we are inclined to be too credulous about the historical past the vividness of our personal memories which are the very essence of reality to us throws a glamour of conviction over tradition and past inductions but the personal future must in the very nature of things be hidden from us so long as time endures and this black ignorance at our very feet this black shadow that corresponds to the brightness of our memories behind us throws a glamour of uncertainty and unreality over all the future we are continually surprising ourselves by our own will or want of will 
the individualities about us are continually producing the unexpected and it is very natural to reason that as we can never be precisely sure before the time comes what we are going to do and feel and if we can never count with absolute certainty upon the acts and happenings even of our most intimate friends how much the more impossible is it to anticipate the behaviour in any direction of states and communities in reply to which i would advance the suggestion that an increase in the number of human beings considered may positively simplify the case instead of complicating it that as the individuals increase in number they begin to average out let me illustrate this point by a comparison angular pit sand has grains of the most varied shapes examined microscopically you will find all sorts of angles and outlines and variations before you look you can say of no particular grain what its outline will be and if you shoot a load of such sand from a cart you cannot foretell with any certainty where any particular grain will be in the heap that you make but you can tell you can tell pretty definitely the form of the heap as a whole and further if you pass that sand through a series of shoots and finally drop it some distance to the ground you will be able to foretell that grains of a certain sort of form and size will for the most part be found in one part of the heap and grains of another sort of form and size will be found in another part of the heap in such a case you see the thing as a whole may be simpler than its component parts and this i submit is also the case in many human affairs so that because the individual future eludes us completely that is no reason why we should not aspire to and discover and use safe and serviceable generalizations upon countless important issues in the human destiny but there is a very grave and important-looking difference between a load of sand and a multitude of human beings and this i must face and examine our thoughts and wills and emotions are contagious an exceptional sort of sand grain a sand grain that was exceptionally big and heavy for example exerts no influence worth considering upon any other of the sand grains in the load they will fall and roll and heap themselves just the same whether that exceptional grain is with them or not but an exceptional man comes into the world a caesar or a napoleon or a peter the hermit and he appears to persuade and convince and compel and take entire possession of the sand heap i mean the community and to twist and alter its destinies to an almost unlimited extent and if this is indeed the case it reduces our project of an inductive knowledge of the future to very small limits to hope to foretell the birth and coming of men of exceptional force and genius is to hope incredibly and if indeed such exceptional men do as much as they seem to do in warping the path of humanity our utmost prophetic limit in human affairs is a conditional sort of prophecy if people do so and so we can say then such and such results will follow and we must admit that that is our limit but everybody does not believe in the importance of the leading man there are those who will say that the whole world is different by reason of napoleon there are those who will say that the world of to-day would be very much as it is now if napoleon had never been born 
other men would have arisen to make napoleon's conquests and codify the law redistribute the worn-out boundaries of europe and achieve all those changes which we so readily ascribe to napoleon's will alone there are those who believe entirely in the individual man and those who believe entirely in the forces behind the individual man and for my own part i must confess myself a rather extreme case of the latter kind i must confess i believe that if by some juggling with space and time julius caesar napoleon edward the fourth william the conqueror lord rosebery and robert burns had all been changed at birth it would not have produced any serious dislocation of the course of destiny i believe that these great men of ours are no more than images and symbols and instruments taken as it were haphazard by the incessant and consistent forces behind them they are the pin-nibs fate has used for her writing the diamonds upon the drill that pierces through the rock and the more one inclines to this trust in forces the more one will believe in the possibility of a reasoned inductive view of the future that will serve us in politics in morals in social contrivances and in a thousand spacious ways and even those who take the most extreme and personal melodramatic view of the ways of human destiny who see life as a tissue of fairy godmother births and accidental meetings and promises and jealousies will i suppose admit there comes a limit to these things that at last personality dies away and the great forces come to their own the great man however great he be cannot set back the whole scheme of things what he does in right and reason will remain and what he does against the greater creative forces will perish we cannot foresee him let us grant that his personal difference the splendour of his effect his dramatic arrangement of events will be his own in other words we cannot estimate for accidents and accelerations and delays but if only we throw our web of generalization wide enough if only we spin our rope of induction strong enough the final result of the great man his ultimate surviving consequences will come within our net End of part two.